Welcome to Promises Are Just Words. This is episode 20, Time to Transition. So finally, we've been given the directive by the government to return to normal classes. So we are back as of Monday, uh, five days per week. That is in New South Wales. Some of you guys may be a little bit apprehensive about that. Some of you guys might be in a little bit of a routine, unfortunately, and that's more of a negative routine, I would say, in, in terms of isolation. Well, you know what, as I said, in terms of action, a lot of the time that conquers any fears that you may have. Fear is something that keeps us from achieving our dreams. Action can also involve risk, and remember that putting it all out there on the line, you may fill out your comfort zone and expose, but without risk, there is no reward. In order to achieve excellence, it's important that you understand it won't always be perfect. Everybody who is a success has failed at some point. The difference is they have learned from their failures. Generally, I'm going to give you two pieces of advice now in regards to risk, success, reward, motivation, anything like that at all. And I want you to take these on board. The first one is very, very simple. Uh, it's called control the variables. This means that you only worry about things that are within your own sphere. If you cannot assert any control or influence on a decision, leave it alone. You don't want to waste your time. It's hard to fight against free will in a lot of different people as well. So control things that are within your own zone, the things that you can actually have influence on. So what might this look like as a student? Uh, it could be something in terms of knowing your content from each of your subjects. It could be something like training your body or your brain to perform under pressure. That is in exam situations. And it could also be, though, controlling the variables about surrounding yourself with like-minded people. I know that if you are, have got study groups and you've got people who are keen and motivated as well, a lot of that's going to rub off on you too. So that is definitely something you can control. So point number one, control the variables. Second one is looking at marginal gains. This means that any change for the better is positive. Remember, you're not expected to jump straight into your first assessment task and know exactly what is required and get 100%. As a triathlete, I can train and train and train all day, but if I'm not focusing on marginal gains, there is no point. I've got to think about things during my races like when I'm setting up my bike, do I put elastic bands on my shoes for the bike? Do I float on my belly and skull with my arms and kick my legs just before the gun goes off in the swim? Do I have my bike in the right gear appropriate for the course before I go out? These are all very simple things that are very marginal as well, but things that I consider when I go into races. All of these, as I said, for me in a race aren't going to gain me a lot of time in total, but sometimes my races do come down to seconds. So you guys might think, well, you're talking about triathlons and that's got nothing to do with me as a student, but really it has a lot to do with you. What might this look like as a student? It could be something like training yourself to interpret essay questions. It could be something like, do you have all your equipment, your pen, your highlighters, etc., in case something goes wrong? In an exam situation, you've got all your equipment in front of you, one of your pens runs out, you quickly grab the other pen and carry on writing. Another thing you could think about was, have I repeatedly written until my hand is nearly falling off so that I can perform under pressure in an exam situation? I did talk about mental rehearsal a little bit before too as well, and this is mentally and physically preparing your hand for writing for a sustained amount of time. Remember, you need to treat the HSC as a competition. Use the strategies that an athlete would do in a competition. Your scores are compared. Your ranks are compared. 
and your ATAR in the end is compared. Don't be left behind in this competition. One of the things I'd like to remind you about is the catchphrase, pass the pod to your squad. As part of this as well, make sure you are talking about the podcast with other people, whether that's students, whether that's other teachers, or just in general people that enjoy listening to the interviews I've got in there. It is coming up, and this is episode 20. It's time for a competition. So as part of the anything to say, you need to go to anchor.fm forward slash mark hyphen atmore5. Please leave a message. The message will be the answer to the following question. The question that you will need to answer is, in what year was my guest in today's episode born? I'll repeat the question. In what year was my guest in today's episode born? Remember, you need to go to the website that I just gave you just then. You need to leave a message on anything to say. And the first person that actually comes up with the correct answer will win a prize. So... Make sure that you actually peel back those ears for the rest of the episode, get your brains ready, and click on and send your answer through. You know, I didn't know that today. I thought I would focus on five facts about education or education slash schools. So the first one is this. Students in China receive the most homework in the world, on average, 14 hours per week. Number two, France has the shortest school year, but the longest school day. And I think sometimes they actually go in on Saturdays as well. Number three, in the Netherlands, children start school on the day they turn four. So they're always having new students come in. Number four, kids in Finland start when they are seven. So in contrast to those in the Netherlands, they start when they're seven in Finland. And number five, the world's oldest school is the King's School in Canterbury in in the UK. It originated and is still running from 597 AD. Today's uh, part of the podcast, Always Learning, we're going to be looking at film study. This is probably, I would say, the most enjoyable part for a lot of English students, English students who are studying English uh, as a subject, because they just feel they're going to sit back, put on a movie, get the popcorn out and watch the movie and then not do anything for it. Unfortunately, the bad news is that there is a lot more to film studies than just doing this. We do film studies at, at our school from probably at least uh, seven, year seven and eight, all the way through to uh, senior school students as well too. So some of the things you need to consider in terms of always learning for film study are the following. Considering techniques. Techniques are very, very simple. They could be something to do with camera shots, for example. Having a long shot, obviously showing landscape and obviously setting the scene. Mid shots, mid shot of the actual character, focusing on the torso and their head. 
and then maybe even to a close-up or an extreme close-up of some feature on that person's face. Another part using camera as well too are the angles. Um, for example, three angles could be low angle, that could be the person, the camera is actually positioned on the ground looking up at someone, and the character who they're looking up to is asserting that power or authority. Or it could be a high angle looking down on something and, and making somebody or something look really, really small. It could also be like an eye level shot as well too, uh, in terms of angles and having a face-to-face -face conversation with somebody. One thing you also need to do in terms of techniques are look, consider color. Color can also imply mood. In Schindler's List, for example, it can also be like a motif. Schindler's List is primarily, well, it is black and white, except for a girl in a that's got a red coat on, and that becomes a motif throughout the whole film. Dialogue is obviously another technique too as well. Consider the words that people, characters are speaking towards each other. Uh, you need to also focus on the transitions between the shots as well too, so focusing on editing features. Another important feature is also lighting. Looking at low-key lighting, for example, and that could cast shadows and it could create some kind of mood or atmosphere about the scene as well. So the positioning of lighting is really, really important. Mise-en-scene is a word that probably is used a lot by teachers and a lot of times students don't quite get what it actually means. It's basically looking at an assortment of different things that make up ideas about the film. So it could be looking at characters and how characters interact with each other. Who's the protagonist? Who's the antagonist? As part of mise-en-scene, it also considers costume and part of that also is makeup. So if you're looking at a historical or a period drama, obviously the costuming is going to be very different from a modern day film. Setting is also really important and mise-en-scene as well too in terms of letting the audience actually look at it and understand what's going on. Sometimes we take a character and put them out of their normal setting or their normal environment and see how they react too. And again, that has a different effect on the audience as well. Part of any kind of film that you have, um, you generally will have a soundtrack as well too, but you'll also have music. And music can also convey mood and theme and atmosphere as well too. In terms of music as well too, obviously it can try and set the genre as well to the study of the film. One of the last things I want to say about this is, look, considering sound. Two examples of sound are diegetic sound. So diegetic sound is sound that is created once the movie is being filmed at the time of it being filmed. The other one is non-diegetic sound, and that is added later on, or it's created later on, and then it's added to the film or added to, for example, someone opening a door and making a creaky noise, someone um, stepping on, on rocks, you know what I mean, and making that kind of sound, and someone will add that sound later on. So these are just some ideas that you might wish to consider in terms of film study. In any kind of essay or in any kind of response, you're probably not going to need to talk about every single one of these, but probably picking out four or five of these techniques. And obviously, depending on the film you're doing, the strongest ones possible. So don't pick sound if that's if you're looking at obviously a silent movie or something like that, because that won't be a very good option. Uh, in terms of film, obviously shots and angles are very important as well. So consider the film um, before you consider which techniques you're going to use.
Today I would like you to say hello to South African triathlete Richard Murray. I thought it was time to include somebody that I look up to for inspiration because I am talking to you guys about people that inspire you. So I thought I would have a personal choice here and include Richard Murray. He always gives his time up. Uh, he asks, answers lots of questions. I know I've spoken to him a fair bit over Instagram. I did meet him at the 2018 Triathlon World Champs on the Gold Coast and actually got a photo with him, which is my lock screen on my computer. Richard started off in duathlon, which is run, bike, run, and he won the 2007 and 2008 Junior World Champs. In 2010, he won the Under-23 African Championships in duathlon and triathlon. At this stage, he switched over full-time to triathlon because there is a lot more money in that than there is in duathlon, and he hasn't stopped smashing goals since. On the World Triathlon Series, the WTS, he has had 95 starts, 46 podiums, and 25 wins in total. Richard's strength is his run speed, and he recently ran a PB for 5 kilometers. He averaged 22 kilometers an hour for the whole 5 kilometers. You can check out his YouTube channel and also his Instagram page and hit him up with any questions that you've got. Top bloke, great triathlete. Say hello to Richard Murray. As I said before, Richard Murray is a top bloke. He actually answered five questions instead of the usual three. The questions I asked him was, number one, what were you like as a school student? Number two, what advice would you give to students who are in their final two years of schooling? Question three, what does it take to remain competitive as an elite athlete? Question four, what honour do you value most, representing South Africa at the Olympics or getting on the podium in a WTS race or series? And the last question, question five, what are the three funniest things that you have seen during your career as an athlete? Yeah, when I was uh, in school, I was quite a naughty boy, um, definitely a very sporty boy uh, as well. And uh, yeah, I enjoyed running a lot. So I did cross country racing. Uh, I was a bit of an introvert a little bit, uh, had a couple of friends in the school, but I was not really part of any group. Um, but yeah, I kind of went my way through school. I kind of just get got through school. I wouldn't say I was a high academic of any notes. Um, but yeah, I enjoyed school. I enjoyed doing sport at school mainly. And uh, yeah, I managed to get through, uh, finished high school and everything Everything was fine. So then I went from there on to college. Um, some advice I'd give to, to people that are leaving school or students that are leaving school soon. Um, well, from personal experience, um, I was quite a reasonably top, well, top athlete when I was there already. When I was about 16, 17, I was already going overseas to do some racing and stuff. So I kind of knew that, you know, endurance sports was definitely something I wanted to pursue one day. Um, I did, however, when I was in my final year of high school, I decided not to do any racing that year because, um, you know, I think results are always more important um, than it is sports sometimes. You definitely want to do the school as best you can and, uh, you know, make sure you get the best result you can out of yourself, uh, you know, for that school. You know, it's only one year, so you may as well do everything you can in that moment. And, uh, you know, you're not going to be the world's best when you're 18. Uh, you're going to be more like 20, 25, somewhere around there, maybe even 30. So you've got plenty of time. So just make sure you do the studies first and then and then obviously start with sports after if you're, if you're a great talent and, and you have the drive. Um, what it takes to, you know, to be an elite or to be a professional athlete and, and stay on top of the times, um, you know, you've got to have a great coach behind you. You know, you've got to have some sponsors, some guys that can financially support you in your dream and what you do. 
Um, you know, those two things are critical in, in making sure that you, you know, you get your, your environment around you and your, your structure of people around you to the best as, as you possibly can. Um, then obviously talent is a massive thing. You need to be talented. Um, you need to want to win. You know, you can't just be there expecting to win. You need to go there and you need to give everything you have and uh, you need to be uh, motivated and you need to be determined and you need to be able to do it by yourself as well because there's not always going to be somebody there to help you and uh, I think all these things together can make can make someone great and also you need to be on top of the time so the new technology things that's coming out you have to be all, forever watching what's happening in the scene and uh, yeah trying to do the best you can with uh, with every scenario yeah the next one's quite a tough one which one which one do I value more uh, representing South, South Africa at the Olympics or um, getting on a World Triathlon Series podium. Um, you know, I, I kind of feel like you need to divide those two to some way. Um, you start racing World Triathlon Series or, or World Series races before you go to the Olympics on most cases. So you need to be able to have raced a few World Triathlon Series races. Um, that being said, there's not all that many athletes that manage to get onto a World Series podium. So for me, you know, that's a, a massive achievement. If you're never going to a World Series podium, you know, that's that's huge. You know, there's only maybe 10% of athletes get to do that and more percent of athletes that have gone to a World Series can go to the Olympics. So technically getting on a World Series is a greater achievement. Um, getting on the top several World Series is a really, really big achievement. And But, you know, going to the Olympics, it's a massive thing. You know, you represent your country. Um, you take four years out of your life to focus and to, and to prepare for this. So, you know, the Olympics representing your country versus representing yourself and your country, um, you know, I definitely think it's a difficult choice. Olympic medal versus a World Series medal, I would take an Olympic medal. Um, but that's, you know, a different question in itself. Um, so, yeah, I think that's kind of my answer. You know, they're two different things, but you got to do, you know, you got you got to find out for yourself which one's the most important. And uh, lastly, three of the funniest things that I've I've witnessed as a triathlete. Um, well, I think one of the well, it wasn't funny, but in in Abu Dhabi the one year there was a lot of rain and uh, um, the race the race cars go on this course that we were racing on, and there was a bit of oil on the corners, and uh, about half of the field went down and continued to crash all the time, which kind of looked funny. But then I crashed myself, and then it wasn't any funny anymore. Um, so that was one of them. Uh, the second thing that happened to me is while I was swimming and I put my my hand into somebody's mouth during the swim while they were breathing and I felt their teeth, and that was a little bit, a little bit funny and scary at the same time. Um, and uh, the third one I think as well, I was once doing a duathlon and I forgot it wasn't a triathlon and I went out from the first run when I grabbed my bike, I ran out with my running shoes on and I ran out to the transition line and everyone was screaming at me, I had to take my running shoes off. Um, that one was also pretty funny.